chapter 2. Because it's a church that was under intense pressure. Intense persecution. If you're in Iran and you read this letter, this resonates with you. If you're one of the Iranian pastors that are now refugees in Turkey because you've been uh, kicked out of your own country as they're starting new churches in Turkey, (laughs) this letter resonates with you. And I think that it resonates with us in America, but we just don't know it. And he said in verse 8 to the angel of the church at Smyrna, write, and if you've been around, you might remember that that word angel is a word messenger and theologians argue, but it could be either an angel or talking to the pastor directly of the church, the messenger for the church. And Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation and your poverty, but, you're, uh, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and who are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and you'll have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. If you were here the last couple weeks, you know that these letters have four different levels of meaning to them. That there was a prophetic picture to this. That it would speak of a church that was yet to come for John. For us, it's church history. For them, it was prophetic in the church at Ephesus. It speaks of a church that was the early apostles, which was from A.D. 33 to around 100 A.D. But if you look at this church here, it speaks of And it's in the subtitle, which incidentally is not an inspired picture, but it is the persecuted church. It would be the church that existed from around 100 A.D. to 312 A.D. And when you look at what happened in those 300 years, there would be 10 emperors, 10 Roman emperors, who would unleash waves of destruction on the church that were remarkable. Ten of them, ending with Constantine. And if you look in the bottom, it says you'll have tribulation for ten days. It's a picture of what was coming in this church. It was a letter locally for a church called Smyrna. It's not over off I-24. The catfish house over there is gone. Come on, nobody know about that in Smyrna? No, there's your persecution, man. They tore down the catfish house. Smyrna was an actual city. And we talked about this as well, but each one of these letters, not only is it a a letter locally and prophetically, but the names themselves actually carried meaning for what Jesus was going to say to them. And when you look at the word Smyrna, remember last week, Ephesus, and that name meant uh, darling or desired one, and their problem was we didn't have love, air supply, you're welcome. Smyrna meant myrrh. If you're in the Septuagint, okay, and I know all of you guys have a copy of that sitting at home, right next to Josephus and all that, but the Septuagint, just so if you're playing along at home, if you were alive in in those days and you you wanted to read the Old Testament but you didn't speak Hebrew, they translated it into the Septuagint, which was the Greek version. Do you follow me? 
And when they translated in the Old Testament, whenever the word myrrh came up, they used the word Smyrna. It meant myrrh. Now what on earth, what pray tell would Jesus be saying to a church about that? It helps if you understand how myrrh is made and what it does. Myrrh comes from a little plant, a little bush. It's like a tree bush. We've got one of those in our backyard. We have to like chainsaw it down. I feel sorry for the new neighbors. It's called the butterfly bush, but it's like this giant Jurassic Park thing that just grows and you had to shave it down. But that's what the myrrh, the plant that it comes from is like that. And they would cut the side of it and from it the resin would flow. Jesus was cut where? In his side and from there it would flow blood. It was a picture of what was to come. And myrrh was used as a burial spice because of its beautiful scent. It was used also as a pain reliever, medicinal. Like it's scientifically proven as a pain reliever. For you holistic people, Edie's probably got a bottle of it somewhere that she can spray on you for the next time you have an ache. But it was a pain reliever that was once it was cut from the side and flowed down, it would harden and dry. And listen to this, the way that it was then used and utilized was it would, once it was hardened and dried, they would crush it up against a tree and let the powder fall into a container crushing on a tree. The Bible speaks of the curses any man who hangs on a tree, speaking of the way that Jesus was going to die on a tree where Jesus was crushed. And from there, myrrh would flow, but from that crushing would come the beautiful scent of myrrh, of healing, of us, of redemption. Smyrna was being crushed. And there's a picture for them that they would have understood in this, that you're Crushing is what is going to bring forth amazing scent before the Lord. Beauty. In Revelation 5, when it talks about the prayers of the saints, they were the persecuted saints, it says that their prayers came before the Father as a scent, an incense before Him. This is germane because here is Smyrna being crushed, and He's saying, you the crushed city. Myrrh. Three times, anybody, maybe uh, for, for you Bible students, you might remember the three times that myrrh was presented to Jesus, that it came up in the life of Jesus. Does anybody remember when he was a baby? Remember, they brought him gold, which was a gift for a king. And they brought him incense, frankincense, not Frankenstein, frankincense which was a gift that would have been for a priest. But they brought him myrrh because it was used as a burial spice. Gold for a king, incense for the priest, and myrrh because it spoke of the prophecy that he had come, that he would die. Three times. Anybody know another time? When his feet were washed. It was just perfume on that one, but that's a good one. That's a good picture, though. You're close, though. Anybody else? When else was myrrh brought to Jesus? Burial spice. Burial spice. When he did the, he's buried. At the tomb, it says that John brought 
what would be 75 pounds of myrrh because they're getting ready to embalm him at the tomb. Now, of course, he wasn't able to get it then. He didn't need it anymore. Incidentally, parenthetically, you can write it down and go there later, but Isaiah 60, for you guys that like this kind of thing, it speaks of the coming, the second coming of Christ, and it talks about the, the dromedaries, which are like, I guess is a King James word for camels, coming in from Egypt. And it, they, it says that they're going to bring gold, you know, the gift for the king. They're going to bring incense, the gift for the priest, but they do not bring myrrh. He doesn't need it anymore. The suffering is done. The dying is over. There is a third time that it was presented to Jesus. And if you go to the book of Mark chapter 15, you can go there later. When Jesus was on the cross, it's recorded that the Roman soldier handed him a sponge that was filled with wine and myrrh. The myrrh was in it as a painkiller. There was vinegar in it, but it's myrrh because they were offering him to relieve his suffering. And what did he say? No. But I'm not going to let this suffering pass from me. I'm going to walk into what my father's will was for my life. And he said, no thank you to the myrrh. I am absolutely intrigued by that. What Nagme said about the medicine and medicating ourselves, she didn't know that that was the message that I had saw for myself and for us in Revelation chapter 2, was that we have an opportunity in our country, we don't suffer like they do around the world because we don't have to. And so what happens is, is that we will medicate ourselves with medicine, with money, entertainment, whatever we can get to, to numb the pain so that I don't have to deal with what God wants me to deal with in my life. Jesus passed on the myrrh. This church in Smyrna, incidentally, there are seven letters here, and we talked about that every letter that Jesus would have an, uh, an exhortation, a, hey, you're doing this awesome, and then there would be a, uh, an admonition saying, oh, but you really need to work on this. Smyrna is one of the only churches in this list that has nothing bad to say. He has nothing bad to say about them. There is no admonition. They were understanding because they were going through some intense stuff. And if you remember when we had Majid al-Shafi speak, the guy that rescues people from places like Pakistan, himself somebody who had been arrested and tortured in Egypt, I asked him what was the most shocking thing, what were you most surprised about when you came to America with the church? And he said the lack of unity was so surprising to him. But when you think about it, if you're in Egypt, if you're in Iran, if you're in Pakistan... You are rallied around. Remember what happened right after 9-11. As a country, we were together. We were on the same page because we were experiencing suffering and fear and we didn't uncertainty. And in Iran, they get that every day. That was, uh, that was one week of our lives that was horrible and it was awful. And if you live in Pakistan, that was yesterday. In Iran, that might be tomorrow. And so they rally around each other in the unity because when you're going through that, if you've experienced tragedy in your life, and so many in here have, I know, you, you come to one conclusion. It helps you to weed out what matters and what doesn't matter. 
I believe that's why Magme didn't also, she never asked notice to pray that the persecution would stop. I'm intrigued by this, and I want you to know, I'm not Nagme, and I'm not there yet on my walk, but boy, I want to be. And I wonder if what's happening in our country right now, all around us, is about that, of the Lord answering our prayers for revival. As we are being surrounded, as we are being, and we may not be uh, yet being taken out and arrested, but we are absolutely verbally arrested. You got men and women in this country that say things that are biblical and they get crucified, maybe not in real life, but in the press, on Twitter, marginalized, ostracized, hated. Because we're living in a really weird world, aren't we? But I wonder if that's Jesus' plan for us in some ways, because it will bring us, I promise you, it won't be comfortable, but it will bring us together for Jesus and it will bring us into unity. We're in a world right now that I can ignore it even if it's not about this big picture of the church at large, but in my personal world. I don't know if you know this, but in the past decade, and maybe you do know this, antidepressants use in women has gone up 30% just in the last decade. Over 50% of Americans are on prescription drugs every day, all around us. Don't hear what I'm not saying, incidentally. There are people that need medicine. We've got a, a little niece in the hospital right now at Vanderbilt with pneumonia. She is receiving antibiotics. She's receiving medication. So I'm not saying that. What I am saying, on the other hand, is we're just running to the pharmacy. Are you telling me that today that 30% more women in America are depressed? Or is it that we are being just shoved this stuff because I don't want to have to deal with that feeling in my heart anymore, and I just want to run away from it. If you're taking that kind of medication today, don't go home and stop it. I'm not saying that. Prayerfully seek counsel. When you go to the doctor with your children, and they go, oh, your kids run around too much, you've got to medicate them. No, just put them outside maybe. And again, there are, I mean, you know, that's what they did with us. That was my cure for ADD. Go outside. <laughs> that, yeah, that the acquaintance with my father's belt. <laughs> the conversation in our country has turned over the last year, and if you're a teenager, you know this. Well, what's wrong with marijuana? It's not as harmful as alcohol. We have all these, these crazy conversations, and we're having the wrong conversation. The question, if you're thinking about weed, marijuana, smoking, why would you do it? Because you don't like the way you feel, and if I smoke this, then I feel differently you are taking medicinal myrrh. And unlike Jesus on the cross saying, I'm not going to do that, you're running to a medication instead of Jesus. You're running to a dime bag and not to Jesus. Because he, and here's the thing, it doesn't actually cure it anyway. All it does is numb it for a little bit. We work with this place, place of hope, with addiction. And every addiction starts out with somebody just trying to numb something a little bit. And before you know it, not only did it not cure it, it has trapped them and paralyzed them. Whether that is Xanax, prescription meds, illegal meds, painkillers. Started out, I wanted to numb this, and then I'm just, I can't take it anymore. And then you can't stop it. It didn't cure it. Medicinal myrrh is not the answer. Not only is it medicinal myrrh, but there's 
Another kind of myrrh that I, you know, it's America, and I want to be careful how I say this, because it's not wrong to have a job and have a career and pursue what God has for you, but money myrrh, there's an emptiness inside of all of us that Jesus is only going to fill. It's a, it's a longing for our relationship with Christ and what he promised to give us. And if I pursue my career above Jesus, I am using money as myrrh to numb the pain in my heart. I had a conversation with a young couple that was getting married, uh, not today, but in a couple weeks. And I asked them, you know, I was talking to the husband, you know, what are, you, what are your expectations? I asked the wife first, what do you expect for marriage? What do you want from him? And she says, you know, I just want to have, I want his attention. I want relationship. I want, you know, yada, yada. And he says, uh, I ask him, so now you, and he just heard her say this. So what do you want from marriage? Now, your next steps, you, tomorrow, your marriage, what are you going to start focusing on? He says, well, I got to get a job and I have to start providing for her. I'm going to go out and get a career. So I ask her, well, how does that sound to you? She says, I just want him to love me. The money myrrh is the thing that sends, it numbs the pain inside of us so I don't have to deal with it. But if you've been around a while, you know if you've been successful financially, you know that it doesn't answer any problems. The pain is still there. The chasing is still there. And the vast majority of Americans, we couldn't get there because of our career. We weren't smart enough or whatever enough. We didn't dominate, and so we just went ahead and charged it all. I mean, when you look at the, the, the debt crisis, there is 70, uh, $793.1 just in revolving debt alone, just credit cards. When you look at the student loan debt right now, a bubble that is coming to our country, easy money from the government, you got to go to college, go, and people are going into debt, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, so they can make $35,000 a year because we're trying to fill this hole in our hearts because i got to have a career, i got to be fulfilled, i got to do this thing. And next thing you know, you're spending the next of your life with a debt you can't even bankrupt out of. And some of you know it, you feel it, you're living with it every day. And I say that specifically to those young people in here today. Man, don't go put your college tab on a credit card. There's plenty of money, they'll throw it at you. But it will hunt you the rest of your life. The money myrrh of our lives, to numb the pain, to numb this thing, this hole that I have that Jesus is meant to fill, and all it does is make us miserable. There is a reason why Dave Ramsey has almost 400 people on staff, because our country is paralyzed, because we are trying to fill a hole in our hearts that only Jesus could ever fill. The money myrrh. There's a mental myrrh in our hearts I don't like to feel the uncomfortable around of the, there's stuff happening, whether it's what's happening with Nagme, whether it's what is happening in our own neighborhood. I'm stressed. And a lot of you teenagers know it. You're, you're the most stressed out generation in history. And so what I do, what you might do, what is tempting to do is not to go to Jesus, turn on the TV and just unplug. I'm just, I don't want to deal with that right now. The dynasty marathon on the night, and they're Christians. <laughs> I can't grow a beard like that, but you know, someday, if I work hard and apply myself, I might. The mental myrrh of me saying that I don't want to deal with what's in my heart or in the relationship with 
my wife or my children. And so I just unplug. One of the more obvious ones these days is, is Facebook. And what's interesting about Facebook is the, what you click on, the links you click on. I don't know if you know this, but they track it. And they decide, oh, you like this kind of thing, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show more of this in your timeline or your news feed. Hey, you don't like stories about persecution or suffering because you never click on that, so that ends up not showing. And you end up with this own little world of just what you want to hear. What did Paul say in Timothy, the prophecy he would say? To, there will come a day when you will gather, they will gather teachers around them to hear what they want to hear. Not the other way around, because in those days, the teacher gathered people around him to hear. We can gather whoever we want to around us and hear only what we want to hear with the click of a button. And what I don't want to hear, I can turn it off. I like the your best life now part, so I'm going to do that one, and I'm going to skip the one that talks about the suffering going on in Pakistan. Did you know that 180 people yesterday in Pakistan were murdered? It doesn't show up in your newsfeed. Be careful, because you... you you are mentally, mental myrrh in your heart. I'm numbing it, and I, you don't even know it, and you become, and here's the irony. Research it, the Google, I thought I had the article, I don't, but you can find it. <laughs> Facebook is turning out to be one of the number one in, uh, causes of depression in people across America. Because you look at everybody else's life and how awesome it is, and you think, man, I suck. This guy's doing that, and this person, oh, I'm just sitting here, my wife's mad at me, I'm fat, I can't, I'm not in shape like everybody else is. I mean, Linda Rojas is working out every day, <laughs> and I'm over here, and she is, by the way, she is kicking butt and taking names. But it's like, this thing that could bring joy, if you're using it to numb yourself, all it's going to do is bring depression, just like the medicinal myrrh, just like the monetary myrrh, your mental myrrh doesn't do anything but bring you depression, and that's a bummer. There's one other myrrh that I was really intrigued by this week, and you might have some in your heart that the Lord is speaking to you on, and I encourage you to listen to him. But there is something in the church that I would refer to as mission myrrh. Did you know that the reason that most churches in America will not talk about what's happening with Nagme is because the pastor doesn't want to because it's a downer. It's a bummer. Barna's report showed that there, over 75% of Americans want to hear about it, American Christians, but 50% of the pastors are like, nope, I'm taking a pass on that one because it's a downer. And in the, with the best of intentions, we built a church that said, I want you to be comfortable because we want to, quote, reach a lot of people. And the best way to reach people is to make them comfortable. Because if you're uncomfortable, you can just go down the street where, where you're comfortable. And so we want you to be comfortable. And gang, I really want you to be comfortable. But what I really want is for Jesus to live and to reign in your hearts. And sometimes that means it's not about comfort. You're like, that's why these chairs are here. Yes. <laughs> they were $9. We should put a picture up someday of the chairs we could have bought for $35 each and then a picture of the little clinic down in, uh, in Africa that's operating right now that we were able to use money. We don't have to waste money on these chairs. My point is this. There is a comfort that I desire that sometimes I can't have, I don't want to, 
and I'm, I'm making fun with Linda, but what she knows is that when you get in shape and do what she's done, there is suffering involved. It is hard work. Have you been to the gym? They're, they're, they're mean. The dude, the trainer guy, oh, come on, dude, is that all you got? I think it hurts my feelings. But there's suffering involved to make it happen, and I don't know why, somewhere in America, somewhere in my mind, I got this idea that I didn't have to do that with Jesus. John never once says in any of these seven letters, and you can look through and verify it, he doesn't ever encourage them, hey, hold on, persevere, push through this suffering, and if you do, you're going to have your best life now. It's always heaven, every one of them. And here's why. I can encourage you and tell you you're going to have your best life now, but what happens when it doesn't work? Man, you do this and your marriage will totally be okay, but what, what if it isn't? Because we live in a fallen world. Jesus recognized that Satan continues to have dominion here. He's referred to by Paul as the prince of the power of the air. There's a fallen world that we're in where the enemy does not want you to survive. And by survive, he means eternity with Jesus. And Jesus knows that it's going to be rough here. And if you'll persevere here, you have a crown of life, he promises Smyrna. A billion years into eternity. This little lady, years, if let's say we get 80, that, that much on, is it really, I mean, seriously, is it going to matter? What's happening with Saeed right now, my prayer, my prayer is that he gets out. His wife's prayer is that, <laughs> that Jesus becomes more famous and that more Muslims come to Jesus. There's an interview where she says, I don't think they know who they're messing with. And they don't, I assure you of that. As we worship for a little while longer this morning, would you let the Lord talk to you today? What myrrh am I taking to numb something in my heart that only Jesus could fill anyway? Am I, is my mission myrrh because I'm comfortable here and I hear this dominating sermon, which we might have to go someplace else for that, but be, be that as it may, the dominating sermon and the huge show and that, that, that's awesome and then I get to go home because I have been made to feel better about myself and I'm numb and it'll get me through another week of not having to deal with the hole in my own heart that Jesus wants to fill. And once it's filled and I've realized what he wants me to do, then I go out and do what Nagme is doing. I go out and do what Saeed, what Narakani, what Majid. What you and I can be doing if that hole is filled by Jesus and not by myrrh. Don't take the myrrh. Some of you need to go home and pour it down the drain. Some of you need to go home and find the little Ziploc bag and flush it. Some of you need to go home and don't turn the TV on and go to Jesus. And you know... I know what the Lord is going to see. He's going to tell you which one it is in your own hearts. Because I know they're suffering now. I know they're suffering in this room. Um, sickness and relationships that are falling apart. And I know it hurts. And I'm so, I'm sorry. But I know that if you won't medicate it, if you won't myrrh it, 
Nagme didn't start like this overnight. This was a journey she's been on. She talked about this. She dealt with depression and she battled, but Jesus delivered her, not Prozac. She didn't go burn down a fat one. She went to Jesus. And here's the thing. Why not? Is your way working? Mine isn't. (laughs) Go to Jesus. Walk through this, what he's asked you to do, and know this, that when that crushing is happening in your life, up against the tree, that he was there too. That that crushing on the cross was happening to him for you. That when his side was split open, that blood and water flowed. Which isn't just a myrrh that will numb your pain. It's a, a, it's a myrrh that will heal it. Father, would you speak to us this morning and show us what myrrh that we've got to get rid of in our own lives? lift up the Anderson family at the at Vanderbilt right now with Mackenzie that God I don't believe you made that little girl sick but I believe that you can get in the middle of this and use that situation that this enemy our enemy is meant for harm in their life and turn it for good and create a sweet incense before you before the world around us forgive us for running to everything but you. Forgive us for trying to avoid the uncomfort in our hearts because we didn't want to deal with it. Because we're still here and we're actually worse off than when we started. Please forgive us and today we run to you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.